The last time we explored the venture capital investment market on this podcast, it hit new records in Q2 of 21. Will that continue in Q3? We'll discuss on this edition of In the Know. I'm Justin Domini. The latest KPMG Private Enterprise Venture Pulse report outlines how Q3 of 21 was the best quarter for VC investment ever, surpassing previous records set earlier this year. The substantial amount of dry powder, increasing participation by less traditional VC investors, and robust exit opportunities helped to keep the VC market strong. To take a deeper dive, KPMG Private Enterprise America's leader, Connor Moore, sat down with Shivani Sapori, who leads KPMG's Silicon Valley private enterprise practice, to discuss some of the key findings from the latest Venture Pulse report. Here's that conversation. Connor, it's great to be with you again today to cover the Venture Pulse report for Q3. I think we can go ahead and dive right in. Um, first off, you know, 2021 looks to be on track to approach about $100 billion in record fundraising for venture capital funds. What do you think is causing this significant increase in fundraising? Thanks, Shivani. Great to be here. You know, I think it's a little bit of a continuation of, of themes that we've talked about in the past. There, there continues to be a significant amount of, of capital available looking for a place to be deployed and in addition to that, as we'll probably touch on later on, there, there's there's a lot of successful exit activity. Valuations continue to be quite high. There continues to be an appetite for people to to invest in what the the new future is going to be post pandemic. So you add all those factors together, and it's just a very very ripe market for fundraising. And you know, I would expect that to. Um, continue for the foreseeable future with, with a possible dampening that, that potentially we can talk about later on. But um, I think all those reasons contribute to what's likely to be a record year. Yeah, and I, I think that's a pretty good segue into the public markets. And um, as you mentioned, it's been a kind of knockout year for IPOs and the S&P 500 has been doing extraordinarily well as well, which I think has opened up um, quite a few exit opportunities for many companies. Did you end up seeing that trend continue this quarter? Yes, I think it it continued for for the most part. Like there were some very strong IPO debuts, some very good first day pops. You know, the returns I think that we highlighted in the uh, the Venture Pulse report continued to, to be strong, particularly with with tech companies. I will say, start a little bit in Q2, definitely a slowdown in SPAC activities and some SPAC offerings that were probably less than stellar. And I think that's causing some companies to maybe push pause on the SPAC route, a, a, because I think there was a view that it was a quicker path to going public, and I think that's been debunked a little bit. And then also to, to our first point, the availability of private capital out there, it's, it's so plentiful and valuations are so high. I think some companies are saying, okay, well, maybe we'll go do a crossover round or something that will take us into later in 2022, and we'll go down the more traditional IPO path. Um, so I think that's definitely a trend that we saw in, in, in Q3. I think it will continue going forward. Part of the thing that will be interesting is we're kind of now in the beginning of the earning cycles for the, the pre-existing public companies. So it will be interesting to see what those numbers look like. Because if there is a softening or a view that things aren't necessarily going the way that people expected as people go back to work and the hybrid model and all that sort of stuff that could cause a slowdown. Um, so the next few weeks should be pretty telling as all the, the earnings releases come out. 
let's cross our fingers for a continued growth cycle. Um, exactly. But if we turn ourselves back over to uh, the private companies right now, you know, one of the things I was noticing is years ago, becoming a unicorn was considered to be an incredible achievement to have that $1 billion valuation. Um, now it seems as if a billion dollars might actually be relatively small for some of these companies. We've been seeing some really large $1 billion fundraising um, rounds recently as well. Uh, do you see those large investments continue this quarter and what's your expectation of it going forward? Yes, I expect to see it continuing as long as you know the public markets continue to behave the way that they have. Um, it is an interesting observation. I mean, like the very definition of the word unicorn would suggest that there wouldn't be that many of them. And now there's there's a ton of them being born every quarter. It's a badge of honor. It's it's kind of like, okay, well, you haven't really done anything until you get a unicorn valuation. Uh, what, what I will say is like some companies who get the unicorn valuation, it does actually create a little bit of pressure because for a lot of them, they kind of have to grow into that valuation. And obviously, the next time they do a fundraising, the expectation is, is that that valuation is going to go up. So I think for, for certain management teams, it's not always necessarily good news because it just sets the bar higher for what they need to, to do to perform over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, but I don't, I don't think anybody would have guessed the number of unicorns that have been born in 2021, and I would expect another slew of them to be born in Q4. So switching topics, you know, a lot of people have been talking about ESG. We're hearing it a lot, not only in the accounting world, but also um, in public company spheres as well. Can you talk a little bit about what is ESG? Yeah, so so as, as people probably know, I mean, the, the, the acronym is Environmental Social Governance. Um, and, you know, other people will kind of refer to it as sustainable investing any discussion I have with a company that's preparing to go public and they all do sort of IPO readiness assessments and what's my S1 going to look like, et cetera, ESG has become kind of the number one topic on that list of things that one needs to have ready for a for an IPO. So, so that gives you a sense as to how important it is. ESG scores and certifications, I mean, that's all still kind of in flux, but the punchline is in order to to have a successful IPO, I think one needs to have a compelling ESG story. And, and there's multiple legs to the, the ESG stool, um, just given how broad the, the, the definition is. But I think in, in today's world where you know, you've got the war for talent, I think people looking for, for new employment, younger generation coming out of college, et cetera, they are going to pick companies to go work with based on their ESG profile. I think consumer behavior, particularly amongst the younger generation, is going to be driven more and more by like, what is the ESG footprint of the company from whom I'm buying? I, I've seen it with my kids and others in the younger generation. I mean, they will make purchasing decisions based on how kind of good they think the company is and good is defined by what they're doing from an ESG perspective. So I think it's it's critically important. And I, and I think we've seen that also. And now even the uh, the SEC is kind of coming up with some suggestions around ESG and they'll have a model for for ESG. So it's all, um, it's all highly topical, highly relevant. Yeah, there's definitely been a, a shift, I think, regulations wise on ESG. I mean, we, we did see the, the diversity requirements come from the NASDAQ and um, some of the other exchanges as well as in some of the localities like in California. Can you talk a little bit about the new SEC rules or what the SEC may be looking at for ESG disclosures? 
Yeah, I think they came out recently with with a statement that said that ideally by the end of the year, they would actually put some more meat on the bones of a set of, of rules that they would expect companies to be disclosing in 10Ks and 10Qs and S1s. Um, and the three areas that they want to, to focus on initially is um, it's human capital, it's environmental, it's um, cybersecurity governance. Um, and I think the expectation is it's unclear when, the, like the date by which they will expect registrants to comply with those rules, but they seem to have an expectation that there will be a significantly broader discussion in those filings on those three topics. So it'll be interesting to see how companies intend to comply with those. And I think the companies that are going through IPOs likely will be on the front end of that because they're the ones that might receive kind of the initial set of commentary from the SEC about how they're complying with those rules. And that might dictate how the existing public companies might actually deal with them. So more to come on that. Now, we have been talking a little bit more about the public company sphere for ESG. Why is this really important for private companies? And what do you expect from private companies as it relates to ESG in the short term? Private companies suffer, obviously, from the same same war for talent that the public ones do. And as they're competing with other private companies and with public companies, part of their recruiting pitch is going to revolve around ESG. So they're going to need to have a, a ESG story. Some private companies are obviously not going to have the resources that a public company would have to roll out a full ESG program and, and, and have the, the dollars that, that's associated with that. But I think there are smaller, quicker hits that private companies can have that makes their story compelling. In addition to the war on talent, they're, they're also competing in the marketplace um, against other private companies or public companies for customers. And as I was saying earlier on, I think customers are more and more making purchasing decisions based on the ESG profile of the, the companies from whom they're buying. Um, so I think it's, it's equally important for private companies as it is for, for public do you think ESG and private companies' positions on these types of topics will influence whether or not they're able to raise funding? Yes, I do. As we were saying earlier, there, there is so much capital out there that there's probably an argument that one could find capital, maybe even if you don't have an ESG story. But I think finding high-quality capital that some of the, the bigger VCs, the private equity firms, et cetera, like some of them have taken a stance that they will not invest unless there's an ESG story that they find compelling. So I do think you're, you're spot on. I, I think it will influence the pool of folks from whom you can get your, your fundraising. The pool will be a lot smaller if you don't have a compelling ESG story. Okay, well, thank you so much for the time today, Connor. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Shivani. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to, to next quarter. Hope you enjoyed that discussion. To view the Venture Pulse report, go to read.kpmg.us forward slash Venture Pulse. That's read.kpmg.us forward slash Venture Pulse. To view the latest IPO market findings, go to read.kpmg.us forward slash IPO insights. And lastly, to connect with a KPMG private enterprise advisor in your region, email us-privateenterprise at kpmg.com. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time on In The Know.